0: Today, we're talking to Marcus Chan, president and founder at Venley Consulting Group about confidence, sales slumps, and routines. Slumps are interesting, um, especially sales slumps, and it reminds me a lot of, you know, baseball. I used to play little league baseball and that was kind of a big thing and in, in baseball, right? And if you don't know much about baseball, if you're batting average, so the number of hits that you get compared to the at bats that you have is 300 or three out of 10 times, you're actually pretty good. And what can happen though a lot since the seasons are so long is you can go multiple games in a row sometimes without getting a hit and you get into this slump and it's kind of like this weird mental thing that is much more than physical where you kind of psych yourself out yeah, an interesting fact, actually, I played Little League Baseball in fourth grade against Kevin Love. So if you're uh, a fan of the NBA, uh, Kevin Love, is he's a really popular basketball player. And I also played uh, against Clay Thompson, who plays on the Golden State Warriors. That was in sixth grade. So they used to be on the same team together. So it's kind of funny. Kevin Love is 6'4", as a sixth grader. Huge dude. Never thought that he would be a, an NBA athlete. <laughs> so pretty crazy. But the slumps are interesting because we get into these slumps sometimes in sales where we just can't seem to get a meeting with someone or we feel like we're doing all the right things. We can't seem to close a sale or get that demo set up for our AE or whatever it might be. And we start to play these little, I call it mental gymnastics. is what I've heard it called before. And you get into this mode where you start to really psych yourself out. And this is really interesting to me because this happens to most people at some point in their sales career. And in order to really kind of shake yourself out of a sales slump, which a lot of you might find yourself in right now with COVID, and it might be for reasons outside of your control, and it can really mess with you mentally. And it's what I'm going to be talking a lot today uh, with Marcus. But before I get to that, if you're listening to the show for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting. My goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script with your prospecting. So I want to share proven tactics and strategies to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. Marcus Chan, I'm super excited to talk about because he's got a lot of experience prior to coaching and consulting. He's has a lot of experience actually working with and managing teams. So he's hired, trained to develop teams that have sold over $700 million. That's million with an M over the last 10 years. So he's done a lot of really great stuff. And what we're gonna talk about today is sales slump. So what to do if you catch yourself in a slump. Uh, we're gonna talk about confidence. So really um, I like to call it, you know, how to go from reluctance to confidence when we talk about prospecting and cold calling, especially. So we're going to talk about the confidence portion of it. He's really big on routines too. So, and uh, another another fact, he's I think he might be the only Asian guy that I know uh, in the sales training, coaching, consulting space. So always cool to talk to another Asian dude. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really good interview. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to that. Uh, one quick thing is if you're looking for a more repeatable framework around your messaging to increase your response rates to your you know, cold emails or to have a little bit better idea of what to say in your cold calls, make sure to check out our, our reply method guide. It's free. It's ungated. So you don't even got to sign up for it. That's at blissfulprospecting.com slash reply and dash method. It's in the show notes. So if you if you're playing this on your phone, it should be linked up right on your phone. Click on it. Check it out. It's pretty cool. Check out the reply method guide. And without further ado. Let's get to the interview. So one thing I noticed when I was doing research on you was you were a chef. Oh, yeah. For like four years. Was this in college or after college or when when was this? Well, I started really at the age of
1: eight years old as a chef at my parents' okay. restaurant, you know. So yeah. what's, what's incredible is when you work for your parents, they can, uh, well, they can really uh, charge whatever they want. So at, at that age, I convinced them to pay me $2 an hour <laughs> when I worked for them, right? So. <laughs> Hey, I was pro bono work before for years before, at least three years before. Then I convinced him for two dollars an hour working as a cook, and I was actually in the restaurant. All jokes aside, it was I was eight, but I was working at a restaurant getting paid two dollars an hour to cook Chinese food. Right, so that was a uh, my official start to uh, getting paid for my work. Yeah, it's funny is
0: two bucks back then, dude. That, that's a lot of candy, man. Yeah, it's for two bucks. You get a lot of tits rolls,
1: <laughs> so you're gonna find this insane, right? So, um, it was it was probably like it, when I was eight years old. Somewhere along that same timeline, like my parents are like, "This it probably like uh, it must have been summertime or something," and they're like, they're like, "Hey, um, what are you doing with this money? You're uh, you're generating like you're, you're building up because we also used to work festivals. they let's keep all the tips." Yeah, And I'm like, Oh, actually I just have it in a, in a tin is a Chinese mooncake container <laughs> under my bed surrounded by a bunch of Nerf guns, you know, just in case. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I grab the tin I show my parents and my mom's like, there's all this cash. So I was like, what, 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 how much cash is in here? And I'm like, Oh, it's like 2,300 bucks. So oh, wow. I had like over two grand in cash underneath my bed at eight years old. Right. And that's when my mom was like, Hey, listen, uh, we should put that in the bank. I'm like, bank. Well, I don't put this in the bank. I, I want access to it at all the time. She's like, <laughs> no, you dummy. Like, if you put money in the bank, it protects it and you can get some interest on it. I'm like, interest. She's like, yeah, you make a little bit of money off the money you have in the container, uh, in the bank. I'm like, oh. And that's when I started my very first checking and savings account at eight years old. Dude, that is the Asian way right there, man. <laughs> that,
0: that is uh, something else we have in common just growing up in Chinese restaurants, dude. Because my grandparents, yeah. had a Chinese restaurant in Sutherland, which is a little bit south of where you grew up in Eugene, right? That's right. Exactly yeah. right. So it's pretty exactly. funny, man. I I, th- I think a good place to start with this is, and we talked about this last time, was there's this thing with Asian people around like going into sales jobs, I think culturally. And I don't think it just applies to Asian. I think that there's a lot of different you know, minorities, especially that go... Into sales on accident, but it's like not what their parents wanted them to do. There's a lot of negative stigmas like culturally around it. And there's certain things around Asian culture, especially around like not being like the, you know, the really loud, you know, uh super charismatic like stereotype that we think of salespeople. Um, so maybe that would be a good place to start. Like, how did you get into sales and how is there anything you've had to kind of overcome when it comes to those kind of stereotypes or just your own natural personality or culture or anything like that when you're
1: getting started? Oh, a hundred percent. Right. Hmm. And what's, what's really interesting is, um, you know, and I think, you know, growing up, you know, you know, I was told, we were told that we should be, you know, something, you know, uh, you know, really, really, you know, like really, really like popular. like be a lawyer, be a yeah. doctor, right. Uh, maybe an accountant, right. Maybe be an engineer. And I said, I didn't do any of those things. Um, And what's interesting is even, you know, even I was more reserved as a kid. I really was. Me too. And becoming more and more open took a little bit of time. And you can find it super, super nerdy, right? But like when I was like uh, about in sixth grade, I started really getting into, uh, you know, like magic. Like, you know, like street (laughs) magic. Like, okay. (laughs) Okay. Like, like David Blaine, David Blaine was the hotness, right? Like he was the <laughs> hotness, right? So I became like obsessed. Like li- literally, <laughs> I would literally like get these books and at the library and I would literally like practice like sleight of hand for hours, mastering moves. Yeah. Now uh, what, ha- what happens when you, when you do, when you, when you learn like, like magic, like, like that, you have to do it in front of people in crowds. Yeah, and there's storytelling, there's presenting, being able to engage them, and that was my first taste of like starting to do that. Like, like in over time, because I practiced more and more and more, I got better, better, and better. No joke. I, I would be like, in like in an early high school, even as like a freshman, I would gather crowds of like fifty plus people around me doing wow. magic, right? Like in the on the hallways, be like, oh, because I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything stupid like rat, you know, had, you know, rabbits out of hats. I was doing legit street magic, okay. So it would like gather crowds, but but that that forced me to get out of my comfort zone of being a quiet, reserved Asian kid into uh, into a really a mental state of hey, how do I entertain and engage people? Right. So I, I started learn how to just kind of turn it on then, right. And that that, and that was that wasn't really sales. That's really uh, being able to hook people. Engage them, and uh, you know, and really work crowds, and, le- and learn how to work with people. That was really some early skills. And then eventually, you know, when I got into sales, like like real B two B sales, I think I got more reserved at first because uh, on the phones uh, when I was canvassing, like yeah, I, I, I got so much rejection, and it made me kind of curl up inwards too. So that was that was really really hard, right? And then you add the fact with my Asian parents, they didn't want me to be in sales. That was that was, all, all those things really bubbled and made it made it really hard, right? And only when I started to figure out how to sell effectively did I build a confidence, you know, in sales. But it took me years to be able to admit that I was in sales. And it took even longer for my parents to accept me in sales. Like, like no joke. I literally like, I remember. Like you know, like my first like six figure year, I literally you know took my W two to show my parents. Yeah, right, to show them that like I didn't make a mistake. They're, like it's almost like proof. that like, like I told you so, I told you so, right? And um and that was part of the, that culture, like you know seeking your parents' acceptance, right, in what you're doing. Yeah. But still, you know, you know, for a long time, it was hard for them to say, you know what, my my son's in sales, my. Guys, my son, then sales leadership. That took a long time, a really long time. This is so funny. The magic thing is
0: the equivalent for me was playing guitar. You know, because I, I got a guitar when I was seven or in seventh grade, and I looked up to like Eddie Van Halen, all these like 80s, you know, rock guitars, because that's the kind of music my dad listened to. And that forced me to, when I was a freshman in high school, people started saying, you play the guitar, like we want to play a song of the talent show together. And then I played a songs and you know, that sort of helped me get out of my shell a little bit when it comes to that. Yes. So you mentioned a couple of things here that I think are so relevant to prospecting. And one of them is confidence. Yes. What are your thoughts on confidence in terms of, are you confident before you're good at something or do you have to become good at it? Then you're confident. Is it both at the same time? Like where does confidence come from? Like how can Like, where does that come from? Because it's such an essential part, especially the cold calling.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, and confidence is one of those things where it's like, you and I both know, we have never seen a highly successful salesperson who is not confident, right? Yeah, never. They are all confident. And -hmm. and I'm not saying that they're all loud and they, they play guitar and they do magic and they're really in your face, you know? Like, that's not, I'm just saying like, they, are just, they may have quiet confidence, but yeah. they're confident in their skills and their abilities, right? And I'm a firm believer that, you know, in, in each of us, we have it's like a confidence bank account. And mm-hmm. everything that we do either adds to your bank account or removes from your bank account. And obviously, you know, if you were a cold call, the more that you do, the more dials that you make, the more success you have, the more confidence you do you definitely get in that too. Um, but when you think about it, um, the more you can build your confidence all in every part of your life, the, the better you become, right? Mm-hmm. As a human being uh, on the phones, on your emails, every part of your work. So for example, uh, if you choose to uh, you set your alarm tomorrow for say 6 a.m. and you wake up at 6 a.m., you put a little bit of confidence in your bank account that you know that you commit something, you can do it, right? When you say, hey, this this today, I'm gonna make sure I send 30 video DMs today. And when you do it, you just add to your confidence, all right? When you say, hey, listen, I'm going to make five more calls after 5 p.m. When you do it, you add to your comments regardless of the result. But when you, when you, when you make those decisions and then you don't follow through, you detract from your, your bank account, all right? Yep. And sometimes it's a very small one. If you say, hey, listen, tomorrow I'm gonna look up at 6, and then you hit snooze at tomorrow at 6, you mentally just took a little bit out of your bank account, and then you didn't do your 30 videos. You do 10 videos you just took it from your bank account and those things all add up right and uh, i think about it, it it ties into our own personal self identity and and what we believe of ourselves and every time we don't execute on what we say we're going to do it hurts our confidence so if you are consistent with what you do you build confidence in that right and of course that starts trailing uh, spreading through into prospecting everything else that you do and then of course when you say hey listen I'm, today i'm going to make i'm going to make you know 60 calls a day When you do it, regardless of the result, you will feel more confidence doing it. And the more you do it over time, you become more confident in yourself. And and you and I both know, um, ultimately, those who are most successful, it's not usually the ones who are most skilled. It's usually the ones who never give up. Mm -hmm. And when you can count on yourself to never give up, you build a lot of confidence from that and results are inevitable. It will simply happen over time. That's what's going to happen.
0: I love this analogy, this uh, metaphor with the confidence bank account, because i uh I do something really small with habit tracking. I have a an app that I use, and it's really simple. It's like got seven things in there. did you exercise today? Uh, for me, something important is you know not eating dairy, not eating gluten, stuff like that. Did you intermittent fast? And the confidence bank account is dude, when I, I get confidence just looking at it, when I see a string of green, yes, I'm like, oh wow. Yeah, you mentioned something about identity. I think is so um, underrated. Where it's, I know there's this quality versus quantity debate right now that you've just been going on forever. But the quantity part of that, the just doing what you say you're going to do. James Clear talks about a lot of that with the habits, the identity, right? The creating a new habit is like I am the type of person that works out. I am a healthy person. That's going to make you want to work out more than just saying, well, I need to work out, right? I need to show up and do this. So I'm someone that follows through. Is there anything, is there anything you've seen? Cause you've managed a lot of teams and stuff too. And I know you work with a lot of clients now, any creative things that people have done to kind of measure this or keep track of it or anything else around confidence? Yeah.
1: So great question, right? So you know, and a lot of times, um, I think the, the visual reminder piece is so key, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, so for for example, right? Like, um, you know, one of the things that I provided for my team, and we ha- we we had we've always had CRMs in some 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 way, shape, or form, right? And now those are fine, right? Um, but I'm such a simple simple guy where um, I literally like for me, like I had a simple spreadsheet, that I printed out. And it was what you know, hour one, hour two, hour three, hour four. And for every single dial I made, I put a tick mark. Okay. And 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 uh between each hour for each hour, you know, either I uh, I talked to a gatekeeper, either I talked to a decision maker, you know, either I booked the call. <clears throat> so every single call I made, I gotta put a tick mark. And obviously my goal was to book as many appointments as possible, right? But I knew that if um if after every call, like if, if I had made say 20 calls in hour one, but I only talked to two decision makers and I booked two appointments, that's a pretty good hour yep. because the other 18 was simply, they were, I didn't have a chance to actually get a hold of somebody. All right. There were mm-hmm. voicemails. I guess I'm the, the message box is only the gatekeeper, et cetera. So, um, so that simple tool by itself, right. Like by visually doing that, that built confidence by giving it made it so, it made it so crystal clear that. I talked to three decision makers. I booked all three. I talked to zero decision makers. I booked zero. Of course I booked zero, right? Yeah. That's a, it's a very visual piece just right there. Right. Um, and that helps build really good habits. And I taught my teams that as well. So this way they got in the habit of doing it so they, they could celebrate successes. So if they said, ah, oh, that was a really rough hour. Let me see that, that, that sheet. They, they, they show me a sheet. Well, actually, well, you did like 15 dials, but nobody answered. So, you can't control that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like unless you call maybe businesses that weren't going to be open, you know, at, quite yet, then you, it's okay, keep on going, right? So it gave you some perspective right there, right? And then from a, a sales, uh, a, an actual sales call perspective, on the sales call, I had different uh, sections for each each like step in the sales process, from you know, sending the agenda to the discovery questions to paying questions, decision making process, right? So they're hitting every single part of it, right? Um, and then. They would fill it out. So visually, they would know if they're hitting all the steps, you know, and that was a great simple tool that I built for them so they can really uh, validate themselves. Because here's the thing. You and I both know we cannot always control the, uh, out, the outcome, but we can always control what we do up front. So yeah. if you control it, knowing, hey, you know what? I at least hit all these key steps in here. And obviously, I can work on refining my question, refining how I run the call, but if I at least have the core components dialed, I'm at least going through the actions. And when they can, if they have a rough day and they pull out their sales call sheets and they had four sales calls and they did the best job they possibly could, even though they sold zero deals, no big deal. Now we can work on refining and improving how each step went to maximize the end result. And that builds a lot of confidence, just knowing you're at least on the right track because that's progress. And when you have progress, that's the ultimate motivation, regardless of the end result.
0: Well, we crave progress, man. You know, and what I was thinking of when you were saying that is that I think a lot of the way that people approach prospecting, especially, is the equivalent of working out and focusing on the weight that you lost in that workout session. It's like, that's not going to happen. You're not going to lose anything except for water weight. That's not how people work out, right? When you work out, you celebrate, oh, I burned this amount of calories. I took this amount of steps. Right. Why wouldn't you take that same approach when you're selling and prospecting instead of focusing on, well, did I get the appointment? All this, well, hey, am I making the calls? Am I talking to the right people? Am I going through my talk track and using the intros that I know work? Am I saying the things? Am I am I getting the no's that I need to get? What do you think keeps people from being able to focus on the activity versus being so stuck on almost needing approval. I wrote a post about this the other day. Like it's almost like needing approval from the prospect and like needing to feel liked versus just, let me just focus on what I need to do.
1: Yeah. You know, and and we're hearing some, a couple of different things here, right? I mean, even that uh, wanting to be liked, you know, like at at the end of the day, I mean, they can like you to a certain extent, but like, you're not there to make friends, right? (laughs) Like, Like, I mean, and I think people mistake that sometimes, right? It's like it's it's, kind of, it's like it's the same with leadership, right? I'm like, hey, you have to be careful not to be friends with your employees. You'll be friendly, not friends, and not not everyone agrees with that, right? But like, yeah. same with your prospect, yeah. you are there to do business, right? Like, unless you're just hanging out to meet to become, to be, you know, meet to meet to meet, you know, it's, it's it's totally different, right? But when you are there to do business, you're there to do business, right? Now. When you do doing business and you become friends, totally, yeah, that happens, especially in a, in a client, you know, that happens, that's very, very normal, but I think it's important to understand that and not have to seek external validation from others to say, you know what, I did a good job with this prospect, I did a good job today. It's kind of the same thing, i seeking validation from your boss, if he did a good job or not, you know, mm-hmm. and it starts with having clarity to know if you did a good job or not. And I believe many don't know and they don't have clarity to if they know they did a good job or not, right? So they kind of aimlessly go through the day not knowing if they did a good job or not, right? Uh, and that ties into larger, potentially systemic issues with the team and the leader where perhaps they're not clear with expectations, right? But regardless of that, as a sales professional, there's only a couple key things you really need to make sure you do a really good job with it as a sales professional. Number one, master prospecting. <laughs> <laughs> yep. number two master closing and master number three master customer success That's, mm-hmm. this is what you get paid on this is your job this is how you make your money this is how you crush your number right i not say oh, it's not important it is too but this is how you actually uh make a ton of money get promoted hit presence club and achieve all the things you want to do by hitting those three things those are your income producing activities right there right yep. so you got to master these and it's not seeking a validation it, like when you're looking at your paycheck is not where you want even if your clients or even if your prospects love you but they're not spending money with you it, it doesn't mean that much because mm-hmm. you can't pay your bills right and take care of your family with people liking you you can't that's not how it works
0: yeah let's let's dig into this validation thing like seeking uh, like external validation it's I mean, it's a, it's a really natural thing if you think about it, right? I, I've you know gone through therapy and still still do it. And I'm very interested in the psychology piece of this because I, I feel like with call reluctance, it's really easy to say, stop being so scared of the phone, just pick it up and act anyways. And it's like, well, when anyone is scared of something, telling them to just not be scared and get over it never works. Like that, that doesn't work. That's not going to make the person want to do it. Um, so I think there's some sort of like understanding of where that person might be coming from and it's almost like, hey, it's okay to be fearful. Most people get nervous. I get nervous when I make calls still. You know what I mean? My heart races when I call a VP of sales and I'm cold calling someone at a big company that I want to work with. You know what I mean? So with the call reluctance piece of it in this like needing validation, where do you think, well, let's actually focus on call reluctance and these might be connected. I don't know. Where do you think call reluctance comes from and why do you think people don't pick up the phone quite as much as they should or they're not quite as confident as they should be or could be when they talk to prospects on the phone?
1: Yeah, I think it's quite simple. I believe it's fear of failure. Yeah, Like, you know, it's a fear of like the the, the unknown what's going to happen, right? Like uh, potentially getting that rejection, saying the wrong thing on the phone with a prospect, you know, messing up a potential opportunity, right? I mean, all those things lead to people like, getting scared right like, like think about this if you knew that if today between 8 to 12 p.m every single person that you put their phone number into your phone would answer and they would say yes to an appointment with you how fast would you dial right you yeah, going like crazy you, you you would not stop right you would not yeah. stop right you'd be like give me some coffee like but you know, like I'm not going to the restroom. I'm going to go right now. <laughs> like, you're going you're to, you're not going to stop down, and that's and that's reality because we fear failure as a human as, a, as human beings, right? And we fear what's potentially going to happen. But and then the truth, the truth is simply this: most of the time they don't even answer. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> most of the time, like they're just not even there, right? And um, and that's that's normal, right? And and the thing is, like we all feel that way, like. Every morning, like, before I make calls, I still need need to warm up, just like anybody else, right? You still need to shake the cobwebs off from yesterday, right? And that's very, very normal, because at the the end of the day, we all want to have certainty, and we want to feel like we belong, right? Like, rejection is, for sure, we shouldn't take it personal, but it still doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't feel good to get rejected. No one wants to get rejected, but... At the end, of the day, when we understand that, you know, it can take action is it, important. And of course, obviously, the the more you do it, the better it beco- it, it becomes, right? You, you, you get tougher skin, but it's one of those things where it's very normal. It's very normal. And frankly, those people that say they love cold calling, I don't believe them. I, don't I believe do not there's, believe
0: there's them. There's no way that you can love doing that activity. I think I I I certainly don't mind it. You know, especially if I can get in a rhythm and, you know, get sort of creative and, you know, that sort of thing. You mentioned warming up and like Mm -hmm. almost like priming. Yes. Do you feel like people treat when they go to make a cold call, do you feel like they treat it like the equivalent of playing a basketball game and like doing zero warm up and just like hopping out of their car, rolling into the gym and be
1: like, oh, I'm good to go now? Yeah. I think, I think most people do exactly that, right? They they just kind of roll on a bed, right? Especially from work from home, they roll on a bed. Maybe they stay up too late, right? And then they pick up the phone. Maybe they brush their teeth. We don't even know, right? Probably not, <laughs> right? And then they start calling, right? And 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 they kind—they of, just mentally have accepted the first few ones that go are just not going to be good. <laughs> They're just like, well, it's just not going to be good, right? And I mean, you you can't you can't picture, right? You know, like I'm, I'm watching uh, the Last Dance. You know, you know yep. Michael Jordan. Like, can yep. like, I. I you you would not see the Bulls as roll out of bed and just go play a game, except <laughs> like, for Dennis Rodman. Except Dennis Rodman. Except for Dennis Rodman. <laughs> <except> for <laughs> Dennis Rodman that's, that's the only one, right? And he might wear a wig while he's doing it. But yeah. you know. Um, but the, the the point is, is like you know, I think about when when you are um on the phones, um on a presentation, on any type of interaction with a prospect, you are essentially on you. The game start has started. The game has started at that point. So you have to mentally prepare yourself and prime yourself for the, whatever you're going to be doing, right? So you have to mentally walk yourself through. So, for example, uh, if you are making calls, like you're making cold calls, like <clears throat> you should warm up your vocals, right? Mm-hmm. You should remap, you should rewalk the neural pathways in your brain of what you normally say on a perfect cold call. You know, so, like, if you think about this, um, one of the ways I would warm up, so I had my morning routine, which would mentally prime me just for the day, right? And then I had a pre-warm-up routine before I got on the phones. And that pre-warm-up routine was really, really important to me because it allowed me to mentally get ready to go. And I'll give you an example, right? So, um, you know, like, uh, you know, back on the Corp America, I knew we started uh, phones with a team at 8 o'clock a.m. All right? And we actually had, we, we had a pretty early sale. We had sales meet at 7am and then we'd go right into the phones, right? So, so I knew my preparation had to begin before seven. So the way I did it was this. So on my drive to the office, it was about a 45 minute commute, right? I would turn off all the music. I would actually go through a series of affirmations for five, 10 minutes, about five minutes of affirmations, right? And then after that, I would go through and I would role play out loud uh, 10 calls. And I would imagine I had to fight through four or five no's to get the appointment, right? Yeah. And that was so powerful for me because I, I could overdo it. I could, over, uh, I could over-exaggerate everything because I knew once I was on the phones, I, would not be able to over, I wouldn't able over-exaggerate what I was actually live. So I'll go through 10 times plus out loud, boom. You know, going through my scripting, going through my role plays, getting myself mapped and warmed up to that point, right? So now when I walk into my my, my sales meeting, I'm already fired. I'm ready to go, right? Because I've already gone through it. And then once, uh, you know, I mean, the end 745, while everyone was like out, you know, kind of messing around, I would meet and log in, open my CRM, open up the first call, right? And then I would walk through in my mind again exactly what i said earlier and it was, i've already been warmed up already right and if someone's open to role play with me i'd role play with them so once eight o'clock hit boom i was already dialing while most people would kind of open up their laptop at 805 <laughs> kind of slowly trudge through <laughs> make some calls right and they're all reluctant because they didn't do a uh, good preparation i'm coming in ready to go at eight o'clock i'm going in <clears> hot <high. throat> and my list i already prepared of my best calls first. So I knew my first 15 calls were going to go really, really well, you know, and it was not uncommon for me to book four or five appointments in the first 45 minutes, because as long as they answered, I knew they would book. I already meant to accept it in my head and I had prepared for four to five no's. So if they gave, gave me anything less than four or five no's, piece of cake, <laughs> piece of yeah. cake. But I prime my mind for the phones. Super important. All right. And it, it was a hard to do every single morning, for sure. But when you do that, you will achieve results better than everyone else by, by simply doing that. Well, and you, you're, you're doing
0: something that I think that people don't really think about. And, and Michael Jordan talks about this a lot. He talked about how hard he was in practice so that the games yes. were relatively simple and pretty straightforward okay. and, and a little easier than the practices. That's how hard that he would go in the practice. Oh, and yeah. when I selling and especially prospecting, how are you making that real prospecting that you do easier than what you practice? Like you should be practicing for the toughest situations that you can possibly go through getting those four or five no's because oh, yeah. in most calls, I mean, you don't need to get four or five no's to get a meeting. Maybe it's like one or two usually and people always give up in the first one, not interested. Okay.
1: Have a nice day. You know, it's like <laughs> Right. I mean, that's, and that's, that's exactly it. Right. You are so spawned, right? It's like, you prepare for the worst, but you expect the best. And when you have that mindset, it, it becomes amazing, right? And this is actually why, uh, you know, when, when I was tra- training my reps, right, especially like, you know, when I was running a sales team, I would put them through from a phone work to face-to-face, I would put them through the most grueling ro- like role plays, right? And they used to like give me a hard time, you know, and and say, wow, why are you so hard? Enough? This is never like this in real life. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm like, are the objections I'm giving you anything different than you already heard? They're like, well, no. I'm like, exactly. I'm just giving you a bunch at the same time. So when you're on the field, you can go crush it. And, and what would happen is they go in the field. They're the best trained team, the best trained team out there because they they, they, did, they expected the worst. And they, they're almost like laughing because they're like, it's, 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 it's like you're, it, suddenly the game slows down when you can predict every move of your prospect because you know the game so well. You, it's, it's like you're watching game tapes of the opposing team and you know every single play they're going to run. So you already know every play you're going to run to proactively handle it and then take care of it on the back end and it still comes up anyways, right? You become superhuman in your sales process. You convert higher, you book more appointments, you have bigger accounts. You're not thinking, you're just going because you've already built in all those plays in your head to run because you do the work up front. Hard up front, but pays off on the long run. I love this,
0: man, because the, like this concept of this practice and this deliberate practice, I, I mean, with prospecting, especially dude, there's a handful, there's half a dozen things that they're going to say in the oh, yeah. call. It's going right. to be the normal stuff. It's going to be a variation of not interested of not right now. Call me back. You know, uh, we already have a provide. I mean, there's just, there's only so many combinations of things that they can say, Um Regards to role-playing, because, uh, I dude, I feel like people give way too much shit to role-playing. I don't know why, but we just did this so much. One of the things that I did sort of back in the day in 2012-ish was start like an outbound call center selling B2C residential house painting services. This is rough, dude. Like cold calling into like people. Yeah. But we role-played yeah. every single day. That was a totally yes. a part of it and getting people in that mindset. Any tips for role-playing Especially for someone that who has a, maybe a manager that doesn't actually facilitate this kind of stuff. Anything that you suggest someone like that does to kind of get it primed and, and role play and and
1: sort yeah. of work with other people too and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Also, some some of the, the best situations you're going to learn from are some of the, your probably your biggest you know botches in sales calls from the phone work or face to face. Like the first thing I'll do. I'll, I'll, this is how step by step I would do. I literally would go and I would write down specific situations that really threw you for a loop. Like maybe it's an objection that you were thrown or they said something weird or whatever it's going to be, right? A scenario. And just say like a list, okay? And then then you have like a list of basic scenarios now, right? And take the time to find someone that you know will give you real feedback and will role play with you. Hopefully it's someone on your team. And I would say choose a time every single week that you can take that time to role play and in the perfect world you could do every single day but obviously people are busy but it's to say if it's friday friday afternoon at 3 p.m right and the reason i love friday at 3 p.m is because most people are dead at that point okay so if you know how to train your mind at 3 p.m on a friday to win a role play you'll win any other day of the week right <laughs> so it's a psychological thing right it's kind of like, yep. if you know how to uh, win the football game when it's like, you know, 10 degrees outside, it's dumping snow, but you can still go out and win that football game, man, you're sure it's actually going to win it's a nice sunny day, right? Yep. So, you choose that time and then every single, make it a cadence. Every Friday, 3 p.m., we're role playing for an hour and be tough on each other. Be tough, coach each other, go through the situations, right? And that's very, very powerful. Now, if I was a sales leader, uh, one of the things I did, um, I did this on, uh, during my mon- my Monday sales meetings. And I actually had, um, you know, I, I don't like spinning wheel fortune things, <laughs> super cheesy. <laughs> and on there, I wrote down <clears throat> different role plays, tough cool. situations, right? So it was a role play wheel. So at the very end, after our sales meeting is over, they're all hyped up. They're ready, you know, ready to go crush the phones or whatever. We spin it, they choose, and we role play on spot, Right. And what's powerful about that is, if you think about this, most salespeople, most people's minds are weakest Monday mornings and Friday afternoons, right? They're trying to get warmed up for the weekend on Mondays. They're kind of off. Friday afternoons are kind of ready for the weekend. But if you could train during those times – you now are mentally building up that confidence block that I mentioned, that bank mm-hmm. account you're filling up. And now you're setting yourself up to win, right? And there's something about when you know you have to be on Monday morning, now you're more likely to be more intentional about your morning, more focused about your morning. And when you're more focused, you will have better results. So it, it really just starts uh, adding to each other and just it compounds over and over and over and over and over. And you can do the same thing, in, even though in, in a virtual mind. If I run a virtual team right now, I'll I'll do the same thing still. I'll do role plays via zoom on the spot. I would just, if you don't have a, a wheel, it's fine. You can take a big jar with pieces of paper with the role play scenarios, toss them in, pull them out. Boom. are right, you go. And there's something about on the spot role plays that forces you to tap into what's the true muscle memory is. Right. Cause here's the reality. If you, if, if they can't do it in the role play, and they can't do it uh, in, the t- in, in a scenario with the rest of the team, it's very unlikely they're going to do it on their own yep. right? or with a prospect. So train them hard in the comfort and safety of the, of the nest of the circle. That way they're ready to go win when they're actually out there you know, on the phones in the field. I love the Friday afternoon, Monday morning thing. I never really
0: thought yeah. of it like that where you're almost creating these uh, David Goggins. I don't know if you follow any of his stuff, creating the 100%. mental. Mental calluses, I think he calls it. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. A hundred percent, right? I mean, and now, and that's and that's so vital, right? I mean, there was like, um, I'll, I'll do these things where like, um and it was funny because um, the, I, the whole concept came to me initially, like even like uh, one of my early sales teams. I said, hey, we're going to split some of the trains up. I want to do one on Fridays, you know, on Fridays as well. And I said, hey, we got to do seven o'clock in the morning, Fridays, or we can do one at, you know, at like 3 p.m right the team was split right and uh and i was like why are you split they're like well we love the 7 a.m thing because it's forcing us to get out of bed and refine our skills first thing so we're we're jacked up for friday but that friday afternoon is really great because we're tired and you know if you train us when we're tired there's no doubt when we're on our game we'll definitely win and i was like oh yeah got it that's cool dude That was really cool feedback from my team. I, I did. For me, I like. I've, I'm, I've always been used. To, I mean, you know, like growing up, working hard at all times. I was used to working eighty to hundred hour weeks. Yep. Right, like working a sixty hour a week job was like. This is a part-time job, right? Yeah, you know? what am I going to do with all this time? <laughs> I'm all free time. What am I going to do, right? So, you know, and of course, obviously, that a little different time. But but still, my, my point with them, I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? I love that concept, right? So, um, But most people aren't wired that way. And they, they shouldn't be. No one should be a wired worker at all times. But if, if you can teach your team to um, be on their game for a full 40 hours, a whole week, right, mm-hmm. by helping them tackle some of their most difficult times, right? They'll become more successful. And if your leader is not thinking that way, if you're an individual contributor, then you should think that same way as well as an individual contributor, right? Because think about this. How much confidence are you going to have as a sales professional knowing every Friday you're doing something that is not comfortable, but it's making you better? Like your confidence skyrockets because you're like, wow, you know what? I am getting better every day. I'm I'm putting the work in. This is going to help me. It's going to pay off. And that's very valuable. Just knowing you are putting in the work.
0: Yeah. It's sort of that breakfast club mentality too that they had in the Bulls. Um, you know, one thing I used to do in high school was get up 5 30 in the morning, you know, for, to train for basketball. So I go lift weights, go shoot the ball. And it's like I can get a two or three hours of, uh, well, I guess it was more like two hours of a workout in yes. before school starts. No one else is doing that. And it just makes you feel really good. Um, let's talk about slumps. So yes. we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording here. What is a slump? like when someone's yeah. in a sales slump like what what is a slump
1: yeah so and it was interesting is sometimes it's it's something super obvious like your numbers are simply not yeah. where you want them to be like maybe you're missing quota maybe you are you're not getting the commission you want maybe you're not getting the money you want you know that could be the really obvious one right but sometimes a slump is simply like your head is just not in the game yeah like you know like you know, like you, you're just in a mental slump. You feel like, you know, like, and you might have even okay results, but you're like, man, I'm just not feeling the passion. I'm not really putting forth my best, my best foot forward. I'm not really where I want to be. And I think, I feel like a lot of people are kind of walking into the slump right now as the time is recording, you know, cause life's a bit of a hot mess for everybody. So it's, you, everyone's kind of off their flow. Right. And, uh, everyone finds something a little bit different, but it's probably something along those lines that they are falling into to say, you know what? I'm in a slump of some sort.
0: Yeah. So, this mental part, I really want to talk about because this happens to me, you know, once or twice a year. I'll get into, I notice I'll get into a little bit of a rut where I'm not excited in the morning, yeah. you know, to be doing what I'm doing, or I'm creating content. I'm just like not feeling it, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. How have you guided people, or, and even personally, what do you do when you know that you're in a slump? <laughs>
1: I think the first thing to know is everybody gets them, okay? Yeah. Like everybody gets them, no matter who you are. Nobody's perfect. We're all per- imperfectly perfect, right? Like we're perfectly imperfect, right? Like we're all human, and we all go through slumps. It's incredibly normal. And first, acknowledging it's really important, right? And then the second thing is, is like don't just try to push through it. Some of my people are, this guy he's got to push through it. I'm like, <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Like if you are like I don't know, like if if you were, like running the parachute on your back just by pushing it through it doesn't make it any easier. Okay. Yeah. like <laughs> it's still On your back. Yeah. It's still on your back. Right. So, um, but what I think you should do first is first, you, what you should uncover is really what are things I can control that help me feel like the best version of myself. And we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, you know, priming your state and being in peak performance, but what are things you can do that sets you up? So you feel your most successful and so I don't know what I find uh, when you when you don't feel like yourself or you're just not as, as passionate. There may be things that you were doing before that you stopped doing that you just got away from, right? Yeah. And they are usually nothing really big. It's usually like really little things. Like so, for example, maybe like since um you know COVID hit, maybe you haven't had the chance to really work out the same way you used to, to work out. And you haven't replaced it with something different, so you kind of just stop working out, and you, you don't really notice it for a little bit. But then after a while, you just don't, you don't feel as good, mm-hmm. right? You know, or maybe you know, say maybe you were eating much healthier before, and then suddenly you know you're not now because maybe you're just ordering out more food because you, you're just tired from you know whatever being zoomed out, or whatever. Like yep. those things all add up, right? But I, what I would do is first control what you can control, right? Be crystal clear on what gives you energy. And I'm afraid there are four energy buckets that you have to fill up consistently, right? For everybody. Now, each person may have a different size bucket for each thing. So it's going to be a little bit different for each person, but you know, there's your mental bucket, your emotional bucket, your physical bucket, right? And your spiritual bucket. And each one's a little bit different for each person. Some people are bigger, you know, maybe they're more into spirituality and, you know, some people's more into the mental, some more people in the physical, but knowing what, what bucket is and also uncovering, how do you refill each bucket? And it's not like I need to take a vacation twice a year to refill. That is not a good way to think about it. That's kind of like, Hey, uh, I'm gonna run a gas halfway through the year and just kind of wait till vacation time to re- refill up. That doesn't work. Right, yeah. so you need to refill those buckets to give your energy, uh, self energy daily. So, for example, right, like um, for me, I know for me, my physical, and mental bucket are my largest buckets, and when I fill those da- daily, then I feel myself. When I don't do it daily, it hurts me, and so I have a pretty robust morning routine because my routine helps me feel whole. All right, and and what I mean by that, so, for example, like if I I wake up. I still wake up every day at five o'clock in the morning, right? I wake up at five, I go, I do my workout. That's helped me fill that the that, that physical bucket. I feel really good for my workout. It's a quick 30-minute workout. I hit it hard. Then from there, I shower, I change, whatever. And then I go and I do I go through some mental stuff. So I go through my affirmations, right? I write out all my goals, right? Because the goals are really important for me, my one, three, and five year goals. So I'm looking ahead, right? And then I I visualize my, you know, my perfect day or one year from now. So I'm doing more mental stuff. I'm future pacing my own brain, right? And I have this whole thing where I uh, basically brainwash myself a little bit, or right? It's kind of creates this whole part of my routine, but I brainwash myself for a future state. And then after I'm done all of it, it's about an hour and a half. It's primarily mental, physical, and a little bit spiritual, right? Yeah. Then I go through, and then I start my day. And then my emotion bucket gets refilled when I spend time with my family. So every day I have an opportunity to refill my buckets to give me the best and the most energy. And when I don't do it, I get worn out. Like if I didn't get to work out every single day, I will feel eventually. If I don't uh, visualize every day, I'll feel eventually. If I don't do my affirmation, same thing. But those things are really important. And for each person, everyone's a little different. Cause I'm not saying everyone needs a morning routine. I'm saying everyone needs a way to refill their buckets daily, just like it is a bucket that of energy like a a gas can you gotta fill it daily right and you uncover your buckets you fill daily and then you'll give yourself energy to be the best version of yourself but if you're not careful when you stop doing it you may not see it overnight but it's like a death by a thousand paper cuts those little things all add up and over time you're in a lot of pain because you know you haven't been refilling it daily no i love this the daily aspect of it and i'm curious with
0: your routine, how often have you changed your just weekly routine in the last five years?
1: So it's, um, so my morning, my, my weekly routine has kind of changed over time depending on what role I'm in. Yeah. Um, my morning routine really has not changed. It's really, as I learn new things, I add things to right? So for example, mm-hmm. um, I didn't share my, my, my PM routine, but part of my evening routine before I go to bed is a grad two list. Uh, you know, most, a lot of people have done that now, but I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And I started that because um, I was I was my my job I was starting to feel a little bit worn out and burnout, right? Yeah. And we we're having a lot of success at work. And then I was, uh, at the time, I was like, my organization was 110 employees. We were running, you know, doing big numbers and all this stuff. And we had some tragic things happen. Like I literally had this sales leader, that unfortunately, had to let go because I thought he had some health problem. Oh, well, not because of health, because he wasn't performing. After he after he was let go, he had he had, we uncovered had he had health problems right? Like nothing to do with his performance, but he had some addiction issues. I'll put it that way. Right. Yeah. He ends up yeah. passing away a week later as yeah. a result. Right. Not, not because we like let him go or anything, but because we found out his addiction was so bad. It caused him to pass away. Right. It was, I mean, it was crazy. And like, in even though it had nothing, it was not my fault. was, you know, no one blamed me, but there was this like feeling like, Oh my gosh, like, did I miss signs? that maybe I could have saw like, that he had this addiction issue and all, and you you feel not good. And you go through mm-hmm. some dark places, right? Like, like, wow, you know, like, what happened here? Like, this this guy is, like, who I consider a friend. Like, he literally is gone, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, I was already feeling burnt down. He had something, like, something heavy like that. you're like, oh, wow, you know? And that's when I saw the gratitude list, right? And I also realized at that same point, I deviated from some of my routines. So I got back into my routines, you know? It took a little bit of time. Added gratitude in there, and you know, after a while, I was able to get myself back into the right mental state, right? And uh, you know, and that was kind of a drastic situation, but my point being is like, stuff ha- stuff happens, it's life, right? Um, control what you can control to help manage your own head and get yourself out of the slump. I was in, I felt like I was in a slump, right? And that didn't help,
0: yeah. Those buckets, man. I. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at it from that perspective of how am I filling the buckets and not working myself um, into a place where I'm running on empty in any of those areas. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I asked about the routines because sometimes I find it's, if I just look at my weekly routine and kind of shift things up a little bit, at least the work stuff that I do, kind of shift the order a little bit, change the days that I do stuff. There's kind of a novelty there of keeping things a little bit fresh as well, man.
1: Um, Yeah. You're spawning right, where it's like from a human behavior perspective, like um, one of the key human needs is we need certainty, but we also need variety, yeah. right? Yeah. So if we don't have variety, it's kind of we get tired of eating the same thing every single day, right? So we have to have variety, right? But if you have too much variety, you don't like it. So it's there's a balancing act where there is power, right? I mean, for example, like my wife makes fun of me, but like for me, it's important for me to change my environment. So like it's not uncommon that I'll rearrange my home office every three to four months right uh, just to kind of switch I, mean, I know you just changed yours, but it just yeah, it just yeah. to kind of switch it up a little bit right? like, it, feels great, it feels great dude Feels great i'm like i have a whole new office now right you know yeah it's, 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 those, it's those little things right so you know it's, it's like it's like you know i'm gonna rearrange the house a little bit you know like i'm gonna change this a little bit you know and sometimes that's important so to add to the slump piece sometimes a slight shift like that can be very powerful you know changing even your home environment to feel better maybe you rearrange your bedroom, and you might mm. feel better. And more at Zen at home, you know, that also adds up.
0: Well, and this is a topic we could dig into for another hour or some other time, but pa- that's what a pattern interrupt is. A lot of people talk about it in sales, but it's really, you create a pattern interrupt in your own life. It's, you just look at something you do consistently that may or may not be good, just change it up, dude. Get up at a different time. Have a different routine before you make cold calls. Block off a different time to make the calls. Listen to a music. Go in a different room when you make. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you can keep the variety. But uh, this is fun, man. The hour flew by, dude. <laughs> you're
1: right. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely. Right. Well, the thing is, just, just to add to the whole like you know, changing up your routine. Like this word's always key to like benchmark people, right? Yeah. See what they're doing. You know, you might, you might say, you know what, ah, I, I love how you do this as part of your routine. I love how you. Organize your workspace to be like this, right? You know, that's why I love like when people's workspace. I'm like, oh, you know what? I really like this standing desk this person has. I think I'd be a nice change- You know what? I think they have plants in their office. I should add some plants in my office too. that would be nice. It's those little things that may not seem like that big of a deal, but that can help refresh and rejuvenate you, you know, and just feel like a whole new person by a simple, easy little tweak.
0: No, definitely, man. Hey, dude, this has been a blast. We, I was, I'm glad that we got to really dig a hundred foot hole in like three different topics here. Um, so I think people should definitely follow you on LinkedIn, dude. So I'm going to link up to that in the show notes. Marcus posts some great content on a daily basis, but where do you want people to go to
1: connect with you, man? And where can they go to learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, man. So awesome. I really appreciate that. It. It's been amazing hanging out with you, man. Obviously a big fan of you too. Love all your content, right? So, uh, LinkedIn is super easy to, uh, to find me, right? Uh, you can also, um, you know, actually have a free uh, Facebook group where people can, you know, learn more to sell more as well. And you just head to, uh, 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 www.sellmoresellbetter.io, free access right there. So excited to have anyone join the group that wants to learn more to sell more.
0: That was a fun one. I had a great time talking to Marcus. My big takeaway, I love this concept of the confidence bank account. And one thing I suggest is if you don't currently track habits, I use an app called Way of Life. And I can't remember if I mentioned this in the episode or not. But one cool thing that I can do with way of, life, uh, way of life excuse me, is I can create categories of things that I want to make a habit. So like exercises on there, um, eating a clean diet for that day. Um, another thing for me is not drinking alcohol is something I'm kind of messing around with right now. And you can track this and you can see yes or no, did I actually follow through with that habit for the day? And what you start to see is this huge chain of days in a row that you've done this or days in a week, whatever it might be. And that gives you a ton of confidence. It's a really simple thing. So you don't need an app to do that. It could be a checklist, could be a piece of paper, could be a different app, could be an Excel sheet, whatever it is. I would recommend checking out ways that you can increase your Confidence Bank account. So thanks for tuning in today. One thing I'd really appreciate if you dug this interview is an honest short review on iTunes. It really helps us grow the show so we can continue getting on great guests like Marcus. And you can do that by just going straight there on iTunes, on your phone, wherever you're listening to this app, are this podcast and leave a review, scroll down to the bottom, leave a short, honest review of what you thought. Really would appreciate it and would really help us out. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.